All right, so this morning, I told you last week to pray for me. Do you all remember why? One person remembers why. Because of the title of this message. (laughs) I'm going to be preaching through a minefield this morning. And we'll see if I step on any mines. Amen. Uh, I won't know how I do until after church. We'll see. Listen, uh, we're on the Sermon on the Mount. And at, at some point, Jesus begins to touch on this subject, right? Matthew chapter 5. And uh, we're not going to leave anything out. Jesus didn't pull any punches when it comes to immorality. And we need to take an honest look at it. We need to read exactly what he said, and we got to live by it. A lot of people read the Sermon on the Mount, and they just write it off and say, impossible. Can't live by it. Jesus didn't mean all that. No, he meant all that. He said, your righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. In other words, you got to go deeper. you got to get real with this stuff. And it doesn't mean that it happens overnight. Amen? Uh, you know, you know, he sanctifies us, but sanctification is also a process that we go through, and we, we renew our minds. We'll talk about that more. But let, let's get into this, and y'all pray for your pastor. Matthew chapter 5, and beginning in verse 27, we'll go through it verse by verse. Jesus says, you have heard. How many times has he said this now? You've heard, but I say, you've heard it said. What is that, this? Seventh commandment, I think. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. And most of us are like, thank you, Jesus. I'm off the hook. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. We're all sinners. We're all, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Hang on to that scripture for just a minute. He says, if you just lust after, I, I, I told this story in the early service. When we first got, when I first got saved, there was about, about a dozen of us that got saved. We got, and we got saved over in Athens, and that's not Ohio. That's Athens, Greece, literally. That's where I was saved. And a bunch of us got saved, and we, and we stuck together. We didn't, we didn't know the term small group, but we were a small group. And we met every night up in the dental ward because that's, you know, it's just a big open space. And we were able to, we'd sit in a circle and we'd worship and pray together. And we, and we were a support group. And anytime one of the 12 churches on the district would have a revival, we were there, right? And back then when you had revival, they had revival. It went two weeks. So we'd go every night if we could. And, and that was the beginning of this. And, 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 uh, and, and one, of, one of our number, his name was Vince. I'll never forget Brother Vince. little short Italian guy. But he was a ladies' man. You know what I mean by a ladies' man. But he got saved. But, but after he got saved, every time he, saw, he would see a good-looking lady, he would, he would click his tongue. He'd say, ooh. I said, Vince, Vince. You're saved now. You can't be looking at ladies like that. I'm not lusting. He said, I'm admiring God's creation. So I've gone with that ever since. I've been going with that. Because here's the thing. You can admire 
but you can't lust. There's nothing wrong with saying, that's a beautiful woman. All of you ladies are amazing this morning. You're all beautiful ladies. But there's a difference between admiring and complimenting. And, and for, of course, nowadays you can't even compliment if someone will get you for that. I don't know. But we're living in a time where you know, we need to understand this, that it's okay to admire, but you can't lust. Remember David and Bathsheba. And, and the Bible says during the time that the kings normally go to war, so David didn't go to war with the other kings. He stayed back in the palace. And because of that, he was bored, and he's out on his patio one day, and he looks out, and he sees Bathsheba uh, bathing on the rooftop, which I don't know why they bathe on rooftops, but she's up there, and he lusts after her, and he wants her, and he even kills her husband. I mean, uh. Because here's the thing, sin, sensual sin is first imagined, and then after it's imagined, it takes root and it happens. All sensual sin starts in the imagination. Now, imagination is actually a gift from God, amen, but like any gift of God, it can be perverted, twisted, and abused. And if we're not careful, what our thoughts and what goes on in our mind uh, actually can actually, as you imagine it, you say, well, there's no harm in imagining it. Y yes, there is. Because even if you lust in your heart, in your mind, in your imagination, that is adultery as well. I, I know the world doesn't think anything of it. It doesn't seem to mean anything to people anymore to live together. They say they're practicing for marriage. What? I hear people say all the time, well, I, I, I want to be experienced before I get married. Experienced? Well, let's look at the facts. Statistics show and, and prove, and this is statistics, not pastor's opinion, but statistics show that the more, the more relationships you've had before marriage, the less likely your marriage will make it. You say, well, why would that be? The more people you're with, can I just say it like that? The, the more people you're with, every time you're with somebody, you're with everyone they were with. And you're with every demon that they have. They termed this term a couple decades ago, maybe a decade ago, casual sex. No. You're becoming one. And you share all their demons. <laughs> We need to understand that it's one man, one woman. It's Adam and Eve. I said something in the morning. I won't repeat it. Not at one man, one woman. Just leave it like that. And and all this other is really, it still is, sin. Help us, Jesus. Now, Jesus has a cure. There's a cure for this. Amen. Aren't you glad there's a cure for this? 
Hallelujah. Let's read the cure. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. I knew I could solve this problem. And cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. That's true. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, <laughs> that's the Word of God. And, I, you know, that's literally what Jesus said. But I'm not so sure he wants us gouging our eyes out. We see this several times that Jesus tends to, you know, for shock value, he'll say things in a way that gets your attention and wakes you up and makes you understand the seriousness of the moment. You say, why do you say that, Pastor? Because what good does it do? You know, does, is it just your right eye that commits lust and not your left eye? So you gouge out your right eye and say, whew, I'm glad my left eye is sanctified. Is it really going to help to cut your right hand off because your left hand is holy? And if you gouge both eyes out, you still have your mind's eye. How many know you can lust even if you're blind? So I don't know that that's absolutely the cure. What Jesus is saying is you've got to do whatever radical thing you've got to do to keep yourself holy before the Lord and keep yourself pure before the Lord. It's going to take some drastic measures because, listen, nothing we do or participate in this world is worth missing eternity for. And Jesus is trying to make the point that even if you have to go blind just to get through it, it would be worth it to get to heaven and spend eternity with him. I'll never forget this. So we, I, I, I just met Don not, not very long. And, you know, when you first meet Don, if you remember Precious Don, he was very, very dignified, very reserved, very Germanic. And uh, I didn't think he had a sense of humor. You know, but he does. Uh, but you would never know it at first impression. So we went to Hawaii. It was about 75 of us. When, and uh, I hadn't known Don very long. And, and they were doing, you know, and we went to a luau that night. They were doing the luau thing. And all of a sudden the music went, and it was at night. And the backdrop, we, we saw the ocean and the ship was all lit up out there. And the ocean, it was like a postcard. It was just just gorgeous. And they turned the spotlight on this beautiful Hawaiian young girl. <laughs> but she starts this slow thing. And I, so I, about 75 of us, so I start going around the tables just, just talking to people and trying to distract them. I was probably trying to distract me. That's what. So we went around. Actually, it was a very beautiful thing. It was nothing, you know. But anyway, I went, through, I went around the tables, and I finally get to Don. I said, hey, Don, what do you think? And he looked up at me, and he said, Pastor, they say this kind of thing will make you go blind. But I'm going to risk one eye. 
I'll never forget that. I mean, I died. I thought, this is coming out of Don Wilson's mouth. I couldn't, I, I mean, I just literally almost fell out right, right there. In the, what, a, what a great. So sometimes you may want to risk one eye because one eye is holy. One eye isn't. Amen. So Jesus is trying, I think what Jesus is saying, not so much to cut it off, but to cut it out. Just cut it out. Whatever it takes, don't look, don't touch, don't go there. Whatever it takes to keep your mind on the Lord, that's what you got to do. And if it takes something drastic, then do it because heaven is worth it. Heaven is worth it. Oh, come on, someone help me in this place. Give him a praise. Listen to the scripture in Job. Job talks about it in chapter 31 of Job, and he says, uh, and I love what he says. He says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. I've made a covenant. I got a deal with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman inappropriately, right? I've made a covenant with my eyes. He goes on to say, if, if my step has turned from the way, or if my heart walked after my eyes. Isn't that beautiful? See, sometimes your eyes take you somewhere, and you're walking after your eyes. You're, you're walking after what you see. Mm-hmm. Or, if, or, or if any spot adheres to my hands. He says in verse 9, if my heart has been enticed by a woman or if I have lurked at my neighbor's door. Hello, peeper. Amen. He said, I've made a covenant with my eyes. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul says this. He says, flee, run from sexual immorality. Remember Joseph? Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. They say that pornography has risen. I mean, it's tenfold what it normally is during this pandemic. It's gone crazy. But you need to understand, you're sinning against yourself. If you're addicted to that, it's because... You're having relationship problems that you need to fix. So, well, we could preach there for a long time. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness. Flee lusts, but pursue. There's the key. Pursue uh, righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure Heart. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. I'm giving you the cures here. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things, not the other things. Look at Romans. Paul talks. This is, this is just classic Paul, and this is classic us. This is from the message, and I love how, how Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7. He says, I can anticipate the response that is coming. I know, quote, 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 I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes. I'm full of myself. 
Thank you. I'm full of myself after all. I've spent a long time in sin's prison. You don't just escape everything overnight. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another. Doing things I absolutely despise. So if I, if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. I need a commandment. I need the Lord to say, thou shalt not. I need that. I need to hear that. Next verse. But I need something more than thou shalt not. Sometimes the more you tell yourself, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it, I did it. Sometimes I think if you just do the negative route, it's like one of those Chinese finger torture things. The more you try to pull out of it, the tighter it gets. The more you, tell, the more you say, I will not do it, the more likely you will do it. The command of God is there to tell you it's wrong. Don't do it. There are consequences. There's a penalty. But that's not going to help us. we got to have it, but it's not going to save us. I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. You know, I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. Am I talking to anybody? My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. Paul, you're sounding pretty negative. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not, that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. Watch this. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. Wow. I'm at the end of my rope. Come on, Paul. Is there no one who could do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? Can I get any help from anybody? Pastor, you can help me, right? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus. The answer, thank God, is that Jesus. The answer, thank God, is that Jesus. Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Next verse. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that faithful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ's being here for us, 
no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. Can I get an amen? There is, King James, there is therefore now no condemnation. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. Give him a praise. Amen. Wow. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Next, verse 31. So, we saw the problem. We saw the solution. Right? Cut it out. Cut it out. Furthermore, it has been said. <laughs> Do I have to preach this? Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a, a certificate of divorce. Mm -hmm. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Yikes. Now, here's the thing. There was a time this wasn't true, but it's certainly true now. There's probably not one person in this room whose life hasn't been touched one way or another because of their divorce or someone else's divorce. Is there anyone in here who has none of that in their family? <laughs> one person. But some relative, some aunt, some uncle, somewhere, I believe almost all of us then have been touched by it some way, somehow. And we have to say this, God hates it. God hates it, and we're affected by it. So they, they're really just trying to trip Jesus up. Now remember, adultery under Jewish law requires a stoning. If you're caught, adultery, but the Roman law wouldn't allow it. But they had developed this whole thing from Deuteronomy 24 and 1. They developed this whole thing about divorce and who can get divorced and so on and so forth. Remember, if it's adultery, they just kill you. So we're not, just, we're not talking about adultery. We're talking about other things. But it says in Deuteronomy, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her. And, boy, they could go. They could run with that word. And he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. So they said, Jesus, how about that? Moses said. And Jesus says in another place, he says, yeah, Moses allowed divorce because of the hardness of your heart. But he said, I'm here now. Now listen, there was a couple different schools of this, but the more liberal school in the in the Jewish, here's some of the reasons you could divorce your wife. If she burnt the toast, if she let her hair down in public, if she talked to a man in public, if, if, you, if she disrespected her in-laws, don't talk about my mama. <laughs> that is cause for divorce. So in other words... There's not a wife in this room this morning whose husband couldn't, could not find a cause for divorcing her just from this morning. 
Hello? Every wife in here is guilty of one of those. I know because I talk to most of you in public. You're guilty. If your husband had saw me shake your hand, you'd be dead meat. Let your hair down in public. You're out of here. <laughs> so they got really liberal with it, and I think that's really what's aggravating Jesus. And he says, the, the word there in the Greek, he says, except for immorality. I know, that, I think the King James says, except for adultery. But the word there is, is pornea. It's where we get the word pornography. It's not just adultery. Remember, adultery was, you were stoned. So, I mean, that's a given. So he's not just talking about adultery. He's talking about immorality. And for that cause, you can divorce her. It, listen, it doesn't mean you have to, and it doesn't mean you should. Because by God's grace, I don't know how many marriages have been saved, even though adultery occurred. And we walked through that, and we prayed through that, and their marriages are better than ever. Can I get an amen? Please don't use this as an excuse for divorce. Because, because if it can be saved, let's save it. Amen? Are, are you all still here? <laughs> now, 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 Paul adds to this, doesn't he? He said, Jesus said, but here's what I say. And it doesn't mean that it's any less forceful because it's still the Word of God. Jesus was just dealing with this adultery issue uh, and immorality. But Paul says this. He said, if you're married to an unbeliever and the unbeliever wants to leave, let them leave. And you are no longer under bondage. You can remarry. Okay? So Jesus said that, Paul said that, now Pastor Bruce says, you're supposed to laugh then. I also need to say this, and you do what you want with it, right? Do what you want. I'm not saying this with any, any strong biblical authority. I'm just, I'm just going to lay this out here because this is the way I've believed. This is how I've lived as your pastor for 38 years, okay? And here it is. What you did before you were saved is under the blood of Jesus. I don't know about all that. Since you've been saved, you're under a different standard. You need to be more careful with that. Amen? And, and number two, I've always said this, and, and I think I'm right in it, but if a wife or her children are in physical danger, I've always told that woman, you need to get out of that situation. I don't believe God expects you to be in a situation where you could actually be beat, hurt, or killed, or your children are being beat, hurt, or killed. I, I just, I don't know. You believe what you want to believe, but I, I don't think Jesus wants us. I think, I think that man has broken covenant with you. Maybe he didn't do it sexually, but he did it some other way. And he has broke covenant. He doesn't believe in this marriage. He's abusing you. And I'm not just talking about he looks at you wrong or, or you know, he says, you know, mean to you. I'm talking about physical violence where you're in fear. I say get out of the house and pray he divorces you first. <laughs> Are you hearing what I'm saying? Malachi chapter 2. Here's where it is. 
God hates divorce, and it's not, maybe not for the reason you think. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. You made an agreement. Your word needs to stand. But he, but did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? This is about godliness. And, and why one? He seeks godly offspring. Divorce is, and he's not just talking about, well, the children get hurt the most. He's talking about he, he really wants, because once you break covenant with God, there's a good chance all the generations following are going to break covenant with God. It's about the children. It's about the next generation. It's about proper godly inheritance. It's about spiritual blessings, a spiritual inheritance from one generation to the next. And God doesn't want that all split up and broke up. That's why he hates divorce, not necessarily for the reasons we think. Although the institution of marriage, and how many know that institution is under attack? Seriously under attack. Seriously under attack. To the point where if you stand up for it, they'll shame you for it. They'll act like you're the sinner because you believe in the institution of marriage. So I'm not here to beat up anybody. I'm not here to, you know, here's the thing. Here's, here, I mean, here's, here's the final word for me. There's only one unforgivable sin, and that's blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. I'll save that for another message. And that's not just speaking against the Holy Ghost. It's deeper than that. But listen, there is no unforgivable sin, and I believe God forgives, and we can move on. But the key is, the key is, the key is, we can't treat this lightly. We can't be flippant just going from woman to woman or guy to guy. This is a serious thing. God hates it, and we need to find a way to stay in our marriages and keep our marriages strong and gather our children around us. Romans 12, 1 and 2 really gives us the answer. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable worship, a reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. Would you stand with me?